Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another edition of Talking Ducks. Oregon falling to Washington. We'll share our opening thoughts on that and whether or not Dan Lanning and his aggressiveness is something that should continue to be a trend for this team. We'll also take a look at the secondary. Do they have enough depth moving forward for the rest of the conference slate? And then Alex Brink will join us, former Washington State quarterback, to give his honest take on what looks like a Cougar team that is on the decline as they get set to come to Eugene. But let's go ahead and get to our opening drive brought to you by Capital Toyota, your way on the highway. And we welcome in Aaron Fentress, Anthony Newman, Joey Harrington, currently getting some surgery right now. He might join us from his hospital bed. We'll see if he's hopped up on anything at that point. Either way, maybe we'll get an honest response from Joey there. But guys, let's talk about this game here. Oregon, Falling to Washington, every Duck fan obviously knows what happened in this one. Missed field goal at the end, fourth downs that we'll get to here in a second. But let's start with you, Anthony. What was your takeaway from this? This is just one of those losses that hurts as a Duck fan because of everything that was on the table for Oregon and how well they seemed like they played during the game, yet you come away with a second consecutive just bitter loss to Washington at the end of this game. Yeah, I'm going to be a professional about this. Uh, but first, let me <laughs> be very sad and, and angry that the Ducks lost that football game. That, that hurt. That hurt. Okay. But, okay, now let's, let, let's, let's move forward. Uh, they, they lost to a very good football team. Give them credit. Washington, Washington played well. Uh, and they, they ran the ball better than I thought they would. Uh, they, their defense, their defensive ends were outstanding, putting pressure and, and stopping the run on, on, on Oregon's offense. But when you have opportunities to put the game away, you have a chance to win the football game, you have to come through. And those are opportunities that are missed. And coaches talk about it all the time. Missed opportunities. You can't have them in football. They're not coming back. And Oregon missed some things there that, you know, to win the football game, you have to do. So... Aaron, it's interesting because, you know, Oregon, I think, fell like, what, one or two spots in the AP poll after this? And this is a, it's a one-possession loss on the road against a top-seven team in the country that it felt like y'all played for most of the game. But what did you see from this one? What did, what did you take away and learn from it? Well, as someone who didn't necessarily have a dog in the fight, no pun intended, uh, it was great. <laughs> it was great theater. 
I mean, that was one. I mean, if I went back and looked at, you know, the history of the games I've covered for Oregon and watched, I mean, that's top 10 all time, just off the top of my head, no doubt. It had it all. You had, you had two evenly matched teams that battle in a game that went back and forth. And one of the beauties of it is it, it had a moment there where Washington seemingly had control. They were up, what, 29-18 or something like that? And they had the ball. And then somehow Oregon got back into it, and then it looked like Oregon had control. And then Washington ended up winning. It, it was just a fantastic, um, just fantastic theater. The, the entire thing, the setting, everything that was on the line, the two quarterbacks, the two programs, the bit of rivalry. It was, it was an amazing, amazing football game. And one of the things I said last week, I had a field goal game. I pretty much a pick them, but pick Washington because they were at home. And I kind of said, look, at the end of the day, I think it's just going to come down. It's just some things that happen. And, of course, some things happen. And they were the fourth downs and the missed field goals. And these things don't necessarily determine which team is better than the other team. You know, both teams' defenses actually played very well, which made the offensive exploits even more interesting because they were making plays against pretty good defense. So this game could have gone either way. Uh, I think if you play a seven-game series, I think it goes seven. And it could be come down to the wire just like that one just did. But it, it was an amazing, amazing event. I, you know, it's one of the few times since I stopped covering Oregon full-time where I actually wished I would have traveled to see the game. That doesn't happen very often because I've been to way too many Ducks games in my life. But this is one where afterwards I was like, damn, I kind of would have wanted to be there. That was, that was amazing. Yeah, I'm sure none of the Duck fans there missed you, by the way. <laughs> no, um, no. You mentioned the game where things happen. Obviously for Oregon, it's all about the fourth down calls for the Ducks. Dan Lanning choosing to be very aggressive in this game. He took accountability for it and pinned the blame on him. So let's hear from Dan Lanning. He was very mature and just very forthcoming in his thoughts about his own performance as a coach. Here we go. Um, well, I'd say this. Like, if I knew none of them were going to work, you would change every situation, right? That's not the way those decisions work, right? The, you know, here's, here's the hard part. You know, when you sit in this seat, um, when I make decisions, one, I, I'm a big boy. I can handle criticism, right? And that's going to come. That's, that's, and it's deserved. Uh, in this position. That's the way it works. Um, I trust our players. I trust our coaches and we have opportunities to win games. I'm going to, I'm going to be aggressive uh, to win games. Uh, if you look back at all of them, you know, ultimately field goal before half, that's one that I feel we certainly could have gone either way. Like I said, on Saturday, um, we felt that we had the look. If we didn't have the look that we wanted, we were going to call a timeout and we were going to kick the field goal. Um, could easily turn around and say, kick the field goal there and feel good about it. I, you know, at the very end of the game, I don't think there's any scenario where I wouldn't go for it on fourth down there when you have an opportunity to put the game away. They've scored on more than 50% of their drives at that point in the game. Um, you know, 75 yards to 50 yards to 80 yards for them with a potent offense. You know, they're, they're going to have a lot of success in a lot of those scenarios, and they had that day. Um, and then, you know, transversely, it gives our offense an opportunity to come back and still have a chance um, in that situation. We don't get it. If we get the first, you know, the game's over. So um, what I would – Go back, like I said on Saturday, is the third and two. I wish we could have executed at a higher level. There was some confusion there. But, you know, what? what's tough is when I make those decisions, like I said, it doesn't just affect me. It affects everybody in our program. It affects everybody that cares about Oregon football. And I understand that. And like I said, uh, I'm deserved of the criticism. But it's not like those, those decisions are made um, on Saturday in that moment. You know, those decisions are made earlier in the week. Hey, how do we want to play this game? We knew this was going to be a game. It was going to be a, a high-scoring game where there was you know, touchdowns over field goals mattered. Um, you know, in, in that scenario, like I said, before half, I think you could certainly say that could go the other direction. Um, a lot of the other scenarios, I don't know that you'd play it any other way other than if you already knew what the result of the play was going to be. 
you know, three three opportunities on a fourth, the chances of us not getting one of those three is really unique, um, you know, especially with what we've done offensively so far this year. Great stuff from Lanning. And, you know, as we dive into this here, it really comes down to this, Anthony. What was your take? You've coached this game before. You've got these fourth down situations, especially the one before half where you get an interception. It's almost a free possession. What do you make of his decision-making on these fourth downs to go for it versus, you know, maybe less aggressive conventional play calling where you kick the field goal and you punt the football? It bothers me that, you know, well, it doesn't bother me. It's just that, you know, Dan Lanning is, is taking all the blame for that game, and, and that bothers me. As, as, as a coach, okay, and then as a player. I played a lot of football, okay? I played a lot of football. Played, you know, three years in high school, played four years uh, at Oregon, played 12 years in the NFL. There hasn't been a football coach, okay, that has won a game for me, okay, because he's standing on the sideline. Football players play, coaches coach. So when a, when a coach makes a call, uh, it's up to that football player to execute that play. And nothing that coach can do on the sideline but hope that play works and hope he called the right play. And he's thinking, yeah, over there, during the week of practice, I got the right plays I want to call, and these players need to execute. So it, it's, on, it's on everyone. It's on the kids as well. Not executing when you needed to execute. So, you know, I love it that he's standing up for, you know, taking the blame. But no, it's not on him. It's not on, you know, after the game is over, everybody's going, oh, he shouldn't have done that. He should have done this. Yeah, that's easy to say. It's easy to do when the game is over, okay? At the same time, talk to the kids and say, you should have done this. You should have blocked that guy. You should have got that pick. That's how you win football games. It's not by the coach. Hmm. Aaron. Well, let, let me just say that earlier today, Joey asked us for our addresses to uh, send us something and I forgot that that would mean Newman would have my address so I'm going to try and be a little careful with what I'm going to say because you can see how fired up he is I don't want him knocking on my door later <laughs> anyway I agree with a lot of what he said but uh, you know in the analytics community in the last four or five years there's been a lot of talk about the value the points uh, the increase how you can increase your total points by going for it. A lot of that doesn't take into account matchups and situations, though. And that's where the coach has to make the right decision in terms of what the situation is. In reality, I don't have a problem, really, with the second time you went for it and the fourth down at the end. And here's why. The reason why I have a problem with the first time was because that was a gift pick and you're getting three points, right? Gifted to you. One of the reasons why you go for it deep inside someone's territory is because factored into the equation is that if you fail, they're pinned deep in their own territory. And you have a great chance to get the ball back in good field position. At the end of the half, that didn't factor in because you're going into half. The second time he went for it, it factored in because Washington took over at its own nine, gave the ball right back. You got it at the 50 and scored a touchdown. A lot of people out there are saying we could have the field goal and the touchdown. Well, that's disingenuous because if you kick the field goal, you're kicking off and they're going to have better field position and a greater opportunity to push down and score themselves or push down and pin you deep. So you can't count both at the same time. So I'm kind of fine with that. The, the other part of this, though, is you're risking six to get 14 at the end. The odds, you know, He said the odds of you missing all three are not very good. Well, the odds of you getting both are not very good. So in reality, you can really only hope to get one of those touchdowns. So now you're risking six to
to get seven. Is that really worth it in a game that might come down to a field goal? I don't know if it is. Personally, for me, I'm probably taking the points both times. Now, at the end, the fourth down, right, fourth and three, that's for ball game, right? You need three yards to win the game. You're averaging six yards per play. So you got to ask yourself, okay, do I want to put it on us and get three yards right now and it's over? Or do I want to give Penix the ball back, regardless of whether I punt it and they get a decent return to the 25 or 30 or whatever? That's still one of the best QBs in the country with one of the best receiving cores in the country coming down the field against me with plenty of time. So it's like pick your poison. And if I don't get it, which they didn't, Penix has a short field now. Maybe they score quick, which they did, and I get another shot anyway. So there's, there's so many different ways to look at these things. But at the end of the day, what happened was they were 0 for 3, and everyone was mad. But no one was mad when he went for another games and made it. And now, now one more point I want to make. As a coach, if you're going to be this way, you're just going to have to accept that sometimes you're going to cost your team a game. And that's the thing that, that bothers me with it. Let's go back to Chip Kelly. One of my favorite fourth down calls ever in Oregon history was at Stanford 2011, about midfield, they're fourth and four. They just came right up, line of scrimmage, Dan, uh, Darren Thomas screen pass to DeAnthony Thomas, housed it for a touchdown. But the next year, they're playing Stanford, undefeated, at home, first drive, get down close to the end zone, don't take the field goal, get stopped, and lose by three in overtime. So you're going you're gonna to have moments, and then you're going to have moments where you cost yourself football games because you're being a little too greedy. I do think at the end of the day, Dan was being a little too greedy, and it cost him. Take the points. It's a close game. Don't try and be too greedy. Aaron, I couldn't have said it better myself. Honestly, I think you look at all three fourth down opportunities, and that is exactly the mindset that kind of goes into each one. Hopefully a learning opportunity, and it sounds like it was for Dan Lanning. All right, plenty more talking ducks. But before we go to break, I guess we have Joey Harrington back east, maybe in a drug-induced state after his surgery. Joey, your thoughts on this game? So... After we got beat by Washington, <laughs> I decided to go to the hospital because it was just that painful. However, this procedure is going to fix everything. The irony is there's really not that much that needs to be fixed. Why? Because they played a dang good football game. You can sit and second guess the fourth down decisions all day. But there's no point because that's who Dan is, and that's who we are as a team, and that's why we love him, because he's aggressive, and he believes in his guys. And while it would have been nice to have more points, That's, that's just part of the game. Washington's a really good football team. Oregon's a really good football team. 
one team wins. Okay. One team loses. Right, and it just happened that we lost that day. In every game, there are gonna be choices and decisions that you look at on film and say, maybe I could have done that differently. But I walk away from that game feeling really good about our team. Really good about our offense. Really good about our defense. And really good about our coach. I'm looking forward to seeing Washington at the end of the season. That's going to be a hell of a rematch. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Welcome back to Talking Ducks. Time now for our legendary performance brought to you by Abby's Legendary Pizza. And even though Bo Nix lost the game, still had a very impressive performance. And when we say lost, it wasn't Bo's fault. It was just Michael Penix really balled out. 33 of 44, 337 pass yards, two touchdowns. And, you know, you look at his performance here, Aaron, and it felt like Bo did... All that he needed to do as a quarterback on the road against a top 10 opponent to give Oregon a chance to win. What did you take away from the way that Bo performed compared to Penix when you got two potential Heisman Trophy finalists on the field at the same time? Well, like I said in the beginning of the show, you know, this, this game sort of had everything. It had sort of ebbs and flows and, and strategy shifts and things like that. You know, real quick to set this up, we talked last week about how Penix usually has to carry things. But in this game, they ran the ball really well. And, and they came in with their running backs actually having good yards per carry, but they didn't need the run because you have one of the best quarterbacks in the country, right? But that pressure was evident early that they could probably make life a little difficult. So Washington shifted it up a bit and ran the ball a little bit more than usual. On the other side, Knicks came out and they were just balanced, right? Short passes, him running around, moving the pocket, uh, getting that running game. They were Washington needs to go out and find some defensive tackles, man, because Oregon was calling inside run all day and just destroying, right? But then they fell behind. And, and in about late third quarter, I tweeted something saying that Franklin has like 29 yards. He needs probably 129 if they're going to get back into it. And all of a sudden, Oregon opened things up. And Knicks changed the way he attacked. And they started getting some big plays downfield, primarily to Franklin, who finishes with 150-something. So you saw Oregon shift. You saw Washington shift, and Bo operated in both styles extremely efficiently and well. He played a great tactical game where he wasn't trying to do too much. He stayed within within himself until bigger plays presented themselves. I thought he had a masterful game. It's just you know they that they just weren't able to convert on the four three down plays. But other than that, I mean, wow, he he played a great game. Yeah, you really couldn't ask more from Bo Nix. And then defensively here. Anthony, it really felt like in the second half, Oregon was down 11 points. The defense got them back into this game that paired well with some of the big explosion plays from Bo. What did you see from this defense? And then we'll get to the secondary specifically here in a moment as they suffered a couple yeah. of injuries. But what did you learn about this Oregon defense against the best offense they might face all year? Well, when you compare it to last year's game, Michael Penix Jr. wasn't touched last year. He was sitting in the pocket forever. This year, he had issues, and this year, he, he got beat up. You, you saw him walking off the field holding his arm, his, his stomach, his, his ribs. I'm not sure what was going on, 
but he was getting bothered in that pocket. He didn't like being in that pocket. He was forced to throw balls sooner than he wanted to. And that was because of the four-man rush, not blitzing. They didn't they don't have to send a bunch of linebackers. There's the four dudes up front getting to the quarterback. And that's huge. That made a big difference. You know, but Washington, and Aaron, you said it, they did a good job of just running the ball just a little bit to keep Oregon's defense honest. And they ran it well. I mean, it's, they didn't run for, you know, 200 yards. They ran for, 100, I think, 102 yards or something like that. But they ran it well enough to keep Oregon honest on their defensive side. So, you know, tip your hat off to Washington. Great job for, from an offensive standpoint. But the, deep, the front seven for, for Oregon played outstanding. What about the secondary, though, Anthony? Uh, yeah. Obviously, Romo Dunze, incredible special talent. First-round NFL draft pick. Yeah. Penix, they've got a whole stable of receivers at Washington, by the way. You get some injuries at the secondary. Jaleel Florence did practice on Monday. Brian Addison is away for personal reasons, though. Is there a concern about the secondary, especially with some of the pass-happy teams you're going to be facing here soon? Health-wise, yes. You, you want that secondary to be healthy. And, and what helps the secondary, again, is the front four. Guys getting to the quarterback. But you still have to be healthy in the back end, and now they're dealing with some injuries. But at the same time, Oregon defense, the secondary didn't play bad. You, get, you have to give credit to Washington's receivers. You said it. First-round draft picks. There's some dudes. You can't stop great performers. You, you can't stop them. You can slow them down a little bit. You can contain them. But Washington has a great quarterback and great receivers. That's a deadly combination to deal with. And, and Oregon did fine. You know, they're still young. They're still trying to, to prove themselves. There was times when I saw some of the DBs, they, they panicked. They didn't just look for the ball and, hey, go get the pick. Instead, they were kind of confused where the ball was, where the receiver was. That takes time. It takes experience. Finally, after this game here, I mean, where's your belief at in Oregon here, Aaron? Maybe, and maybe I shouldn't use the word belief with you specifically, more so Anthony, but your valuation of Oregon, at the end of the day, you lose on a last-second field goal you missed on the road against a top-10 team that had to make some big-time plays when you go 0 for 3 and 4th down. I think there's a reason why they only dropped one spot in the rankings. I mean, do you feel better about Oregon after this game, or are there more concerns about the Ducks? Real quick, though, offense has the advantage. We have a great quarterback, great receivers. It's almost impossible to stop. And just real quick, Newman, the trajectory he puts on his passes, those those fades, whether it's over the top, uh, backside, back shoulder, whatever, the way the zip gets there, it's just there now in a perfect position. It's almost impossible to defend, so props to them for that. As far as moving forward, look, that that game to me told me more about Oregon than all five of the previous victories, which to me were worthless on a national level. Right, they weren't worthless because you won the games. But on, I mean, I said this last week. Like, I mean, who'd they beat? I mean, Stanford's horrible, and they just beat Colorado. So, I mean, beating them means nothing. You beat Stanford, that means nothing. Uh, Texas Tech, you almost lost that game. That's alarming. If anything, Hawaii, PSU, get those out of here. Playing this well at Washington means more to me than anything that we saw prior to that. So, I came away impressed with Oregon's ability to play at that level. But I went in believing they were already pretty much at that level. Let's just see it. Does that mean moving forward, I don't think they're going to lose again? No. And I don't think that Washington's you know, automatically going to win out. They, they both play USC. They both play Oregon State. Um, Oregon has to go to Utah. So there's still some question marks as to whether or not they can meet in the Pac-12 title game. But I think, if anything, this game validated that Oregon is indeed at a top 10 level and have, now has some real proof that they belong there. But they got a long way to go. 
to avoid upsets because we all know this conference is wacky. Yep. This conference is crazy. Upset. <laughs> How many times in history started. has Oregon seemingly been unstoppable and then blown a game where they were a two-touchdown favorite? It's happened a lot in the last 15, 20 years. So they're not out of the woods. Yeah, you mentioned two-touchdown favorite. We'll talk more about that upcoming game here next. Washington State around the corner. But when we come back, Dan Rubenstein will join us from the Solid Verbal. He's got some interesting takes as far as what he saw on some of those plays in that game and really what this means for Oregon moving forward. Stick around. Plenty more Talking Ducks when we get back. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Welcome back. Time now for It Never Rains with Dan Rubenstein. And Dan, first loss of the season. We, yes. We were probably going to get to this point at some point in the schedule here. But this one just felt particularly brutal as a Duck fan because it is Washington. The stakes were high. It felt like Oregon had this game in the bag. It really did. Why, why did this one just seem like such a tough loss because I listened to your response afterwards I mean this, this was a hard one to swallow yeah it was it was tough as an Oregon fan and I think what you have to do is you have to bundle the last three losses with you know two Washington losses and the Oregon State loss and I think it was the final fourth down attempt against Washington last year plus the Oregon for Oregon State fourth down attempts and this year's Washington fourth down attempts it's oh for their last nine wow and I think that's what it comes down to it's because you are sitting on a couch as an Oregon fan thinking to yourself, oh man, it all comes down to this, like seven different times during that game. And whether it was, you know, before the end of the first half, after the interception, at the goal line, and deciding to go for it on fourth down instead of taking the kick and taking the easy three, whether it's, you know, punt or no punt at the middle of the field, and you have you add up all of those moments in the aggregate, and it's a tense experience. And when you couple a tense experience in a winnable game with a close loss with a last second field goal attempt to send it to overtime, it just, it makes you pour out all of your emotions. It allows you to second guess so many different things, which is why I think it still reverberates. Not to mention that it's, you know, a top 10 matchup against Washington and Seattle. I think that's why it reverberates two, three, four, five days, if not months later. Lanning's aggressiveness, and he didn't back down. He said, we're going to be an aggressive team, and he certainly stayed consistent with that. When you mention those stats, it's funny, though. A coach is never condemned for being conservative in a close loss, but when they're aggressive and they fail, that's when they face that scrutiny. Looking at the track record, looking at the stakes, and looking at how Oregon has lost these last three games, do you think it's fair that his aggressiveness is being scrutinized now? Oh, it's totally fair. And I think it's it's also fair to separate decisions from results. Yeah. That sometimes you can make a good decision, but the team or the coaches fail to call the right play. The team fails to execute properly. You know, a running back misses a block and the quarterback gets sacked. Or the running back misses the obvious lane to follow the H-back or the right tackle or something and decides to cut back, and that's not what he was taught to do. I'm not here about blaming players, but I'm saying... If we separate decisions from results, we can say it was the right decision, but they weren't prepared to pull it off. And I think that's what it kind of came down to. And Dan Lanning, I think, 
very wisely and maturely took the blame and said, you know, if there's something I regret, it's, you know, right before halftime, maybe taking those three coming off of, you know, getting the ball back off the interception and sort of having a surprise possession in a matter of speaking. That was the regret he seemed to have. But otherwise, I'll never fault a coach for sticking with a vision, for stating a vision and following through on that vision. But when you look at the actual plays, I again, I don't want to sit here and blame players, but if it were a, if it was a preparation thing, it just felt like you have to have 7 to 12 automatic 4-yard plays. No matter what defense is called because we know Will Stein is very much a fan of RPOs and tagging different plays with different routes and you know, giving teams options. And my first thought in watching this game was Joe Moorhead doesn't lose that game. Hmm. That Joe Moorhead in that game against Ohio State on the road with, I believe, an inferior quarterback was able to constantly either fake a handoff and hit a little tight end route, you know, for three Mm -hmm. or four yards. That like, that has to be when you're at this level, when you have the aspirations that Oregon has, you have to be borderline automatic. If you're good enough to say, we think we're a playoff team. You have to be able to know that, oh, we have 7 to 12 options to get three yards in a high leverage moment. And it just seemed that on the goal line, on fourth and short, on third and short, and this has been a very good Oregon team on fourth down otherwise. But in that moment, it just seemed like nobody was on the same page in terms of timing. Nobody was on the same page in terms of what the correct play would be. If you look back, like, there was an opportunity, and this is me second-guessing irresponsibly 72 hours after the fact, <laughs> but like you look at some of those short yardage runs and Terrence Ferguson on the weak side kind of half-sold a block, and when you watch it from like the all-22 angle, you're like, oh, that's the perfect opportunity for him to just sort of leak out yep. over the top, whatever, like, and give Bo Nix that option if he's reading a, you know, a, a linebacker crashing down that the middle of the field is going to be wide, wide open. And that, to me, is where Joe Moorhead's brain would have been and Will Stein's wasn't. So he's new to the job. He's young. I think there are still huge hopes for this team. But that was my disappointment, that it wasn't the message of being aggressive. It was the manner in which they tried to be. Yeah, I agree. Nothing really looked crisp on any of those fourth down attempts. And you never even really had Bo Nix threaten to use his legs because he's rolling so far outside of the pocket. And that kind of eliminated him as a running threat on some of that as well, too. But, you know, it's interesting. It's... It's kind of the midway point of the season or the first game of the second half. So there's still a lot of football left. And when you look at what's happened around the rest of the Pac-12, I mean, what do you think is the biggest obstacle for Oregon in a rematch against UW and Las Vegas in the conference championship game? Because that is very much still on the table for this Oregon team. Yeah, right now I think it's... I, I weirdly think it's Utah on the road more so than USC just because... I still worry a little bit about this offense on the road. We saw some struggles and some missed receivers against Texas Tech, who has so far looked, and they're down there starting quarterback in Tyler Shuck, but they looked pretty average, losing to, I think, Kansas State this past weekend. And so some of Bo Nix's struggles, and he still had a good game against UW. He still made some big-time plays and made some big passes. But against a defense on the road in a place where everybody seems to struggle in Salt Lake City, that to me is the biggest obstacle because defensively, I think Oregon will be good against USC. I think USC is a little bit too one note that like Caleb Williams needs to be an absolute superstar in every single play because of that defense, because of that offensive line, that I'm less worried about that because it's in Eugene, because Oregon just seems to be a team that plays really, really well in Autzen. 
So I, I still think it's probably the Utah matchup as the biggest obstacle. Oregon State is right there as well, but that game is also in Eugene. So I would have the one against the Utes circled, which is wild because they have one of the absolute worst offenses in the nation <laughs> and no passing game whatsoever. Yeah. But if there's any team that can ugly a game up and win it 17-13 on the West Coast, it's Utah right now. Then finally, Washington State. This, to me, was probably the most surprising game in the conference this year outside of Stanford's unbelievable second-half comeback. But Washington State looked the part for a minute there with Ward and what they did at home against Oregon State. But now they've got back-to-back -back losses to UCLA and Arizona just went up to Pullman and blasted them. I mean, what's going on with Wazoo? It doesn't seem like they're nearly as much of a threat as they were originally coming into Eugene. Uh, they look like a poor man's USC at this moment, which is not a compliment in the way that you might think it could be usually because on offense, it seems to be all Cam Ward and hitting his shots downfield. And I think the transfer receivers for the Cougs are pretty good. I think it's from, it was, it's Kyle Williams. There's a couple other guys that have made waves this year, but they haven't been running the ball especially well. I think teams have figured out the offensive line cannot really hold up. And so teams are going directly at them and not even bringing that much pressure that they're they're staying back in coverage and you know making Wazoo be sort of dink and dunk about things and I just don't think they're built like that and the defense hasn't been especially good all year if you remember even the 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 Wisconsin game yeah. I think Wazoo fell on a fumble in the end zone for one of their touchdowns to hold on in that game like it wasn't a demonstrable win against Wisconsin so this was always it, you know, going into the season, I think a lot of us thought that Wazoo might be a little bit dangerous, but didn't have the depth, didn't have the roster. They had all the transfers on both sides of the ball. They had all the coaches leave that I just think this is what happens when you don't have a roster to play 12 games. And that's yeah. where I think, unfortunately, Washington State is. All right, Dan, as always, appreciate it. I'm sure you got a pizza to get to somewhere, but thanks again for joining us, breaking down, obviously, disappointing loss. But hey, a lot of football left. Maybe Oregon will take on Washington in that conference championship game. Can't wait. Thanks for having me. Anytime. All right, stick around on Talking Ducks. We got more to come. We will talk more about this matchup against Wazoo and if the Cougars are a legitimate threat. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Welcome back to Talking Ducks. Now we welcome in Alex Brink, one of the co hosts of Talking Cougars. I covered Alex in high school when he lit up Glencoe in a state playoff game. I think it was a Final Four. And then covered him when he took down the Ducks in 2006 up in or Pullman. And uh, that was a big game for you because they didn't recruit you. And I remember you were hot about that. And I was impressed with the way you took them down. Now I'm working with you on TV. Things come full circle almost 20 years later. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm doing awesome, Aaron. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's hard to believe, man. It's been a, <laughs> been a long time. Uh, paths have crossed many times. Fun to do it, uh, do it virtually in this setting for sure and, and get to share some war stories. Yeah, no kidding. All right, so, you know, the Cougars looked pretty good when they took down an upset Oregon State. Since then, not so good coming off a 44-6 loss to sneaky Arizona, which wasn't so sneaky this past Saturday. What is going on with the Cougars these last two weeks? Alex, what happened? They were ranked. They were looking good. They took down the Beavers, and now they're struggling. Yeah, I mean, Cougs were world beaters through four weeks, right? Two wins against top 25 opponents, 
beat Wisconsin in Pullman, beat Oregon State in Pullman. Really good wins, but you know it's hard to win on the road, and they go down to the Rose Bowl and, and kind of laid an egg against, I think, is a pretty good UCLA team, at least a UCLA team that matched up really well with Washington State, protect, particularly on the defensive side of the football. You know, And then Arizona comes to Pullman, and you thought that was kind of a get-right game for the Cougs, and, and they couldn't really do anything right. After the first drive of the game where Washington State went down and scored, I mean, they didn't score again, didn't see the end zone again. And, you know, the Wildcats rattled off 44 straight points, and, and that was kind of a wrap. I mean, it was, uh, like you said, an Arizona team that had played really well against Washington and USC. So it's not that a surprise that they played well, but you thought the Cougs were going to come back and bounce back after a tough loss. I think a lot of it is on the offensive side of the football. I mean, Washington State, as good as they were through four weeks, have really struggled to protect Cam Ward. They haven't run the football well all year, and I think teams are kind of starting to figure out a little bit of this Ben Arbuckle offense, the young coordinator who came from Western Kentucky in his first year at Washington State. Yeah, you mentioned that. So Cam Ward, 13 touchdown passes through the first four games. He had a 451 and a 404 performance. The 404 and four touchdowns came against Oregon State. Since then, 197 against UCLA, 192 against Arizona. Just one touchdown, three interceptions. Is it just simply that teams are saying, okay, you guys don't run the ball, and we're starting to figure out what you're doing on offense. We're trying to take those things away, get some pressure on your quarterback, and it's all crumbling right before the team's eyes. I mean, is there way to recoup, to recoup from this and, and recover? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some changes in scheme. And I think some of that has to do with, you know, just who the teams were, right? Oregon State and Trent Bray are going to kind of line up and, and show you very similar structures and play the same way. Whereas UCLA, you know, they're, the way they like to play defensively is to mix it up. Odd fronts, guys coming from all over the place, mixing up coverages. And Arizona took a little bit of, of that playbook and implemented it. You know, same idea, odd front. You know, they were kind of bringing guys from all over. Occasionally they'd drop eight. Sometimes they'd, they'd bring six or seven guys. And so, you know, I think it was the mix-up is what's creating some problems for Washington State and Cam Ward offensively. But to be totally fair, you lose your best receiver, Lincoln Victor, out of that week four game against Oregon State. So you've, you've missed him the last couple weeks. You lose your starting tight end, Cooper Mathers, who was a huge part of the run game. Even you know, even though it hadn't been super productive, the times it was was because of Mathers. And so a little bit of that injury bug hit. And then on top of that, you're facing some teams that throw different looks at you. For Washington State, I think the key is they've got to simplify things and they got to kind of get back to basics. They got to find a way to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers. And if they get a guy like Lincoln Victor back this week down in Austin in Eugene, I think that could mean a lot for the Cougar offense. So I'm sure you watched the Washington-Oregon game, a classic up there. Bo Nix, one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the country. Uh, Washington State's defense obviously struggled against Arizona. What can they do, if anything, to try and slow down Oregon's run game and keep Bo Nix in check? Yeah, I mean, the, the Oregon offense is so dynamic. And, you know, a lot of it's gonna, it has to do with scheme and play calling, but a lot of it has to do with Bo Nix and how multiple he can be. Like you said, dual threat. He can drop back and throw it. He can beat you in the run game. You know, he can throw the quick pass and do the RPOs. And, and that puts pressure on a defense. I will say for Washington State, you know, the defense is kind of the strength of this team. You have Jake Dickert, a defensive head coach. Jeff Schmetting's a new defensive coordinator coming in from Auburn. They've really kind of complemented each other and they have good blitz schemes. You know, seems like the structure is there. And, you know, against in these last two losses, 
it wasn't so much that they got exposed, in my opinion. I think they got put in tough situations, right? I mean, against UCLA, they're on the field for 95 snaps in 95-degree heat in the Rose Bowl, you know, because the offense couldn't get the engine turned over. So it just felt like that one they got worn down, even though they played pretty well and turned the ball over, uh, you know, against that UCLA offense. Arizona, similar sort of deal. They had some situations off of turnovers, you know, fourth down stops for the Washington State offense where they had short fields they're defending against. And, you know, when you get short fields as a defense, you're bound to give up some points. So I think the defense for Washington State with the rush ends, R.J. Stone, Brennan Jackson, and some elite secondary players, Jaden Hicks at the safety position, Shaw Smith-Wade at the corner position, have a chance to slow down that Oregon offense a little bit. The reality is, though, this is a race to 30-plus points, right? Whoever's going to get to 30, 35 points is probably going to be the winner of this game. Very similar to that Oregon-Washington game we saw last weekend. All right, Ducks are a 20-point favorite. What's your honest prediction? I think the Cougs can hang. Take off hang. that shirt, put on a regular shirt, and give me an honest prediction. <laughs> I, think, I think the Cougs can hang, and I think they can keep it close. I think they're going to be competitive. They got a little bit of that, you know, kind of wounded animal mentality. I think it's easy to see a score of 44-6 to from the Arizona Wildcats and think the sky is falling. I think the reality is that these type of games happen at times, you know, to teams uh, in the Pac-12. That's just the way it is. I mean, there's no easy outs. And I think Washington State really has a chance to kind of refocus and bounce back. And they're good enough. They have enough pieces to be in this game. Um, but the reality is they got to play mistake-free football. If they turn the ball over, if they make big mistakes, you know, Oregon's going to be able to get after them. So a lot of this is can Washington State get out of their own way to make sure they're in this game late into the fourth quarter. All right, great stuff. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Aaron. All right, Alex, thanks for stopping by. Aaron, well done as always. When we come back, we'll wrap up this show and give you our thoughts on Oregon's remaining schedule and also give you our score predictions for the Ducks versus Cougs in Autzen Stadium. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Just when you woke up on Sunday morning, what, what are kind of the first things that are going through your mind when you're thinking about what happened in that game? Yeah, my, I mean, first off, you're, I guess you're assuming I went to bed, right? Um, I, I came anxious to get to work and say, okay, what can I go, uh, you know, fix? And where can we get better? You know, and get, played a tough game against a team that went down the wire. Um, and you evaluate and assess every single uh, situation that shows up in that game. And then you say, okay, now how can I build off this and learn off of it, right? And, you know, that's always going to be my mindset. What can I learn and where can we improve as a team? You know, something I'm really proud of today, we had a, a phenomenal practice with our players. In fact, you know, we were our GPS units to tell how fast our guys run during practice. This, our guys are running 5% faster than they've run on any Monday this year, which when it comes to speeds, that's pretty impressive. You know, these guys came to work. They – they wanted to wear shoulder pads today. These guys wanted to go. So I think it tells you about our team's mindset, um, where they're set, and, and it's really the same thing from our entire staff. Our staff wanted to come in and get better as soon as they could. All right, time now for Made of Metal, brought to you by Leatherman. And while you aren't running 5% faster, Aaron, I think you're typing 10% faster after that matchup against Washington. But you look at Oregon's remaining schedule, and here's the thing. There's still a lot of football season left. And Looking at the road ahead, we heard from Dan Rubenstein. He feels like the toughest remaining game is at Utah, but the complexion of the schedule has now changed a little bit, Aaron. Washington State's not the threat that they are. USC looks vulnerable. Obviously, Oregon State's still playing well, but your toughest matchups outside of Utah seem to be at home. 
What do you think is the biggest hurdle for the Ducks if they want to try and have a rematch against Washington, who people assume will be in that Pac-12 title game? Okay. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here. <laughs> you would never do but, that. Oh, my God. But, I mean, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. This is a team that almost lost to Texas Tech. Right? Texas Tech but is But then three. almost beat Washington me, on dude, the road. Let me, let, me, let me finish, Newman. <laughs> Say <that> Newman. <laughs> I saw you. They're, Texas Tech is three and four. Okay? This team has one real quality win, and that's a great – excuse me. I take that back. They don't really have a quality win. They have a super quality loss, which, like I said, is probably better than those other games. This team has not really played hardly anyone worth a damn. The team they played that's worth a damn, they lost to. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that the Ducks are just going to roll into Utah and roll over USC and Oregon State. That's ridiculous. All three of those games are losable games. Now, would I pick Oregon to win all those three games? Yes. But history has shown us with this program that when big things are on the line, a lot of the times they stumble in games they're not supposed to stumble in. So you have the upset factor, and then you have a 6-1 and SC team and a 6-1 and Oregon State team who are really good football teams. And yes, both can beat Oregon in Austin. So they're, they're, nothing is, is a given at all for, for this team or for Washington. They have to play at SC and at Oregon State. So yeah, there's... There, Oregon needs to make sure they continue to practice hard. Don't buy into this ridiculous hype that's out there because it's not real. They have a lot of work to do or they're going to stumble. You know, it's funny, Anthony, because Oregon's either going to play good teams or bad teams right now. There doesn't really seem to be that many middle-of-the-road teams they're going to face off against. And what do you think is the biggest thing in their way if they're trying to get to the Pac-12 title game? Aaron, first of all, what, what hype are you talking about? What hype? Are you kidding me? Hype. There's no hype. Hype. The two hype. Kids ain't hearing people no hype. Calling this, people are calling this team a playoff no, team because they people, beat Colorado. The kids people, are not huh? even thinking about what they're saying. The kids don't hear all that stuff. Just like Dan Lanning said, they You're came right. to practice the today. Like they came to practice today running faster than they've ever ran before. Okay. It, you, you have to understand this. Okay. And you know this, Aaron. You know this. Now, you're an ex-football player. Okay. Your whole life as a coach, these coaches are coaching you. They're always talking about adversity. How do you deal with adversity? During practice, during a game, during the season, how do you bounce back? Because I hear, I hear all the time from a coach, there's 60 plays you got to play during a game. And if you mess up in the first five plays, uh, you have some more plays to play. And if you can't handle that and deal with that, okay, and start playing and thinking about the next play, I can't have you playing on the field. I can't have you on the field, period. So these players, and I think Dan Landing and his staff, Oh, I know. Matter of fact, I don't think I know they have conveyed that to them. We have to move on. We had an opportunity, but now we got Washington State right now. They're in front of us. We're going somewhere, but they're in front of in front of us, the next target. So let's get ready to play them and do the best we can against them. Correct all the mistakes that we made in that last game. We had opportunities against Washington State. Let's not miss those opportunities. That's what's going on. There's no hype. What hype? I, I think so. Ain't no hype. Okay, okay. We, okay Newman, I, Newman, Newman. Wait, wait, hold on. Newman, I was not insinuating that the Ducks themselves are going to take games lightly. He was asking me how I viewed the rest of the schedule. And what I'm saying is I think there's a lot of work to be done out there and that there are three games that they could lose and that people are getting, have been getting ahead of themselves with this team. 
because their schedule to date has been soft other than one team that they lost to. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying the Ducks players are going to go out there and, and wet the bed because they're going to believe the hype. I'm just saying that they're not out of the woods. And people are already talking about a rematch and the playoffs. And like, people have been talking about that from way too early. That, that's Those are the people I'm talking about, not the Ducks players. But I, but I get it. Okay. A lot of football, not much show because Aaron had to defend himself for a full minute there. That leaves us a minute for predictions and thoughts against Washington State. Real quick, Ducks, 20-point favorite. too much time. Anthony, give me your key to this one. Hey, I I think Oregon bounces back. Uh, The offense, they're dangerous. They lost to a very good football team in Washington. I think they're going to bounce back, and that defensive line is going to give give whoever is the quarterback position for Washington State, they're going to give them trouble. All right, Aaron, your key to this one, how does Oregon get the win if they're going to win? With, as a this is a perfect get-right game. It's a challenging team that's, that's on, falling on hard, hard times. Styles make fights like we talked about Colorado. Washington State does not match up because they can't run the football game. They're, therefore, they're not going to keep Oregon's front seven honest. I think Oregon rolls in this game, you know, 48 to 17. Yeah, I got Ducks winning 44-24 over this one. I think it comes down to that. Front three, if they do decide to drop eight like a lot of teams have against Washington State, can that front three provide enough of a pass rush or at least be able to get to the run quick enough so that Oregon isn't going to be hurting themselves by dropping eight? Should be a good one, as you mentioned. Bounce back game. Thanks again for joining us. Also, Alex Brink, always nice to see you on here. Dan Rubenstein as well, too. Oregon versus Washington State. Hopefully, Joey is on the mend. You can join us next week. We'll see you all then.